0: There's also been a stunning lack of hate mail. I really was looking forward to that hate mail. And it's just, you guys got to step up the game.
1: Yeah, you know, I I, I called developers lazy and nobody even took the bait, yeah. you know? But what I what I didn't say is that uh, the, the dirty little secret is that hackers are even lazy.
2: Yes. So. <laughs> it's also accurate. That is very true. you think security and the way that security researchers in general interact with other companies that they don't work for. What comes to mind, Chase? Uh,
0: probably bug bounties, mostly because that's the focus of this episode.
2: Well, you, you spoiled it real fast. <laughs> uh, I'll uh, cut
0: that part out. We can record that.
2: <laughs> no, that's fine. But no, you're right. Bug bounties are sort of the the hot topic when it comes to ways that independent security personnel can, I guess, aid corporations that they don't actually work for in their security posture
0: crowdsourcing security
2: right i've actually also heard it referred to as the gig economy for cybersecurity, which also makes a lot of sense because some of these bug bounty programs have pretty decent payouts depending on what you're able to find now full disclosure i have never actually submitted a bug for a bug bounty i have never been paid out for a bug bounty or any of that fun stuff chase i don't know if you have or not
0: i have not most of my hacking uh, occurs under the auspices of Black learned Security.
2: So we figured it would, if we wanted to talk about bug bounties, it made sense to bring on someone who's been in that sphere uh, more actively than we have.
0: Yeah, and that's why we brought back uh, Paul to discuss bug bounties. How you doing, Paul? Good. Um, it's a big honor to be. I, I believe I'm the
1: first return guest, so it's a you big, are it's a great <laughs> honor to be back. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's been some. Very uh, talented, genuinely talented uh, speakers on before me, so I hope I'm not bringing the bar down
0: too much. Oh no, we do that fine on our own. Yeah,
2: <laughs> don't forget we did do an episode where it was just Chase and I. That was the I, lowest the bar's ever been. I wasn't yeah. talking
0: about that one. <laughs>
1: you know, compared to Thomas, uh, I probably relative to to him, I guess. You know, I probably sound like you keep me in a, a dungeon and just only take me out when uh, time when there's websites <laughs>
0: to hack, but. We'll see. Is that not what we do? <laughs>
2: it's <laughs> kind of the truth.
0: Maybe <laughs> yeah, you chain to a ping pong table so you can play ping pong until it's time to hack. <laughs> I, I can get behind that.
2: Well, we covered your background a little bit last time you were on. And you are, just to refresh everyone's mind, uh, memory a little bit, you are sort of the resident web expert at BLS. You do a lot of our um, specialized web hacking, web-based penetration assessments, things like that. You also do some tool development and um, even web shell development, things like that. But within your repertoire is also bug bounties. And I think we've we've talked about it offline uh, a little bit, but I figured this would be a great topic for listeners to just hear some realistic information and real facts when it comes to bug bounties, how independent researchers like yourself can interact with bug bounties and sort of what that scene is like.
1: Well, once again, you know, thank you for the flattering introduction. I hope I can, I, hope I, can, I don't know if I said that last time. I was just kind of blown away by. Uh, I was like, wow, that's a really nice intro. But I, I, you know, hopefully I can live up to that. Yeah. So I guess a little disclaimer. A disclaimer is that uh, while I do do bug bounties in my spare time, I am, I would say, almost exclusively on one platform. So which is Synack. I do have some experience with the other platforms, but uh, just wanted to throw that out there because I think most people talk about bug bounties. Typically, they're talking about either HackerOne or Bugcrowd. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, the the you know the fact that I'm primarily on Cynac will actually be uh, you know a nice you know, difference in perspective. But just wanted to throw that out there because if I get something wrong about HackerOne, please don't <laughs> come after me. I don't. Really do much on HackerOne.
2: So, well, actually, let's since you brought up platforms, let's let's start there. You kind of hit on two of the more common known bug bounty platforms, HackerOne and Bugcrowd. And for people who are new to bug bounties or the the concept of bug bounties in general, the core of this practice is where companies who offer a digital product either it's an application or their website or some other service that is internet facing they open themselves up to these intermediary bug bounty platforms like hacker one and say if a security researcher finds an issue with our service our website or application submit it through here it will be reviewed and then depending on the the posting or the the bounty i guess uh, <laughs> it either may pay out. I've seen some that pay out in like swag, like stickers and t-shirts and things like that. Um, and then some actually pay out money. Like I I know Google, their Android project pays out in five hundred thousand, ten thousand dollars $10,000 ranges. So it's kind of a mixed bag there. Now, Paul, you mentioned you're on one that I don't think, I know I've never heard of outside of, in reference to you specifically. You're on Cinec, is that what it is? Yeah, so
1: I guess, you know, it's probably worth spending a minute just to talk about the, the major differences. Um, so, with Hacker One and and Bugcrowd, I, I, I kind of group those two together. There are some differences, but they're more or less just two implementations of the same concept. Uh, anyone can sign up for those, and uh, there's a certain number of programs that are immediately available to you. You can just start going. There's there are private programs where you have to build up. Uh, those those platforms have uh, the concept of reputation. So in addition to being paid, usually in money, sometimes in, like you said, they might pay in just reputation or swag or something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that that's something that you can build up by uh, your reputation score and get access to more programs as time goes on. But the, I guess the biggest difference with Synac, which is where I um, primarily operate, is that there's, it, it's, it's a bit more like an actual job, just in the sense that there's an application process. There's a... There's an interview. There's a you have to actually there's like a CTF type thing that you have to go through and complete to their satisfaction, and I believe you know some some level of background check. So there's it's a little bit more. I don't want to say exclusive because that sounds elitist. I I just mean they they filter people a little more, and there's a little bit more of a of a barrier for entry, and uh, that's that's kind of the main difference there. Uh, As far as the actual how does it how is it different from a day to day perspective? The biggest difference is with the more popular platforms, you're dealing um, with the, the actual customers more directly. They're the ones who are, uh, whoever's, say it's, I don't know, Verizon, right? Um, there's someone at Verizon who's gonna run their program and who's gonna be triaging your, your reports and uh, ultimately who decide how much you get paid, et cetera. Right? And so the difference with Synac is that all of that kind of communication with the customer, they, they handle that. You don't really talk to the customer. And instead you have team at SYNAC that reviews all of your, uh, all the bugs and there's like consistent criteria for what gets accepted and also a consistent pay table. So rather than, hmm. you know, one of the big things that people talk about with say hacker one is that there's a, a and, and you alluded to this too, Sam is that there's a, a wide range of payouts. Um, and there's also a wide range of, I guess how things get accepted with SYNAC it's, Standardized across the board, so it's a more consistent experience. Not only okay. that,
0: but I've always tried to start bug bounties. I never really, you know, fully get into it. But one of the things that kind of discourages me is it feels like with Hacker One and Bugcrowd, there's just so many people doing them that it feels like it's hard to actually like find anything at a certain point after the bug bounty has been up for a certain period of time. I feel like the lack of, or well, the more stringent requirements that SYNAC has means there's less competition, which means you're more likely to find things. Is that correct?
1: Um, yeah. Now, I mean, you, you've touched on a very hot subject, which is uh, the concept of dupes or duplicates, which is basically just when you find the same thing as someone else and you know, someone's not getting paid, right? So that does still happen with SYNAC, but they've they've taken some pretty, I would say, significant steps. And I'm not a shill for Synack, by the way, so I, I will maybe say <laughs> some bad things about them too. But you know, where there's good things, I'll I'll, I'll say them. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, but you know, they've taken some steps to combat that. So it, um, you know, when you submit something, you can see if there's already it's been a similar type of bug to the same endpoint, let's say. So it's still a it's still a it's still a bug that you can't get because someone else got it. But at least you're not wasting your time mm-hmm. writing a report and. And, and, and putting all that effort in and getting excited only to find out that you're not going to get that reward for it.
2: So the race to disclosure is still there. There's just more transparency in other disclosures occurring at the same time.
1: It's it's still there. They also have, well, they also have something called a quality rule, which is a basically a short period of time where usually 24 hours, but sometimes less where when a new target comes up, where The order doesn't matter, and they look within that time frame. They look at the the quality and basically just accept based on who's got the best report. And once that period, once that period's over with, then it's you know it's back to the whoever got their first model. So interesting, pretty key differences there when it comes to I I think that's one of the biggest frustrations that uh, and and that's why I ended up on on Onsenac versus the other platforms is is just the the frustration of 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 finding something and then. putting the effort in and just not getting a reward for it.
2: Now with Synec, you don't have to pay, there's no kind of like a uh, membership fee or dues or anything like along those lines. It's more of a, you have to be this tall to enter this ride kind of deal.
1: Uh, yeah. Once you're, once you're in, you're in, there are just like with other bug money platforms, there's, I guess it's not really a, a private program, but there's, you're not automatically, you don't have to have access to everything. There are different criteria. For example, some targets mm-hmm. are U.S. U.S. only or invite only type things, but there's a pretty a pretty good um, pool of of things to look at. I guess the counter argument and why maybe cynic isn't always so great is is that there is you know, probably overall a more limited uh, menu of, of, of choices. There there are overall less opportunities, I guess. But
2: so less less opportunities, but more quality opportunities versus where with like uh, Hacker One, you've got more opportunities, but there's also a significantly larger saturation in those markets. So it's more competitive and more variation in either payout or quality and things like that.
1: I think that's a a great way to put it. Yeah.
2: Okay. See, that's interesting because I I knew that there were other programs out there. I vaguely remember seeing a program that was set up just to do open source bug bounties. So they would look through like Uh, GitHub and GitLab repositories at open source code and use that as a reporting feature through uh, this platform, which I cannot remember the name of for the life of me. And I'm sure my search would be way too generic to actually find it. (laughs) But I know that there are other platforms out there, but HackerOne and BugCrowd are definitely the ones that get the the fame, I guess. But that's interesting. Now I'm curious to kind of go dig around and see what other platforms are out there. So in your experience doing bug bounties, have you ever had really like a contentious relationship when reporting something to uh, either a company or into Cynac? Uh,
1: well, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I guess a little bit, again, I think uh, some of that is, I, I guess with, with Cynac, the uh, contention move, moves to the, uh, they call it the Volnops team. I guess it sometimes can move to them. Uh, and, and that kind of does have its own issues too, um, because... Without you know diving into controversial subjects, uh, and I'm trying to be fair to all the platforms here, but you know some of the the people that do the triage, I mean, there's the concept that you know they may develop favorites uh, or dislike mm-hmm. certain researchers, and, and, and you know since they hold all the cards of, of whether you uh, your report gets accepted, um, maybe there's something there. I personally haven't really gone into it. I mean, there's times when you might disagree with uh, why something got rejected, but usually there's a a resolution there. Uh, I've, I've I've certainly heard of instances like that, and especially in other platforms. And you know, there are cases I've I've heard of from other people where you know a, a program might you know promise a certain thing and then pull the rug out from underneath the researcher and and either not pay them or pay them significantly less because um, they've already got what they want. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that that is definitely a problem. Possibly more on other platform, or, you know, more than on some platforms than others. Yeah, it definitely happens.
0: If that happens where they pull the rug out from under the researcher, is there anything the researcher could do about that? Or are they pretty much just SOL? Uh,
1: yeah, the, I think all the platforms have like a mediation process they can go to. And I've, I've even heard of, I think it was Bug Crowd specifically, I was talking to someone who got, we'll just say, screwed over by a company and Bug Crowd saw that and they actually, you know, spotted the the researcher, the, the difference of, you know, oh, so that, that type of, type of thing can happen too.
2: That's interesting. I wonder if that has some kind of a uh, blowback on that company of like, Hey, you can't, you know, post your bounties here anymore. You, you're limited to the number of bounties or something like that as sort of a, a consequence back to them.
1: I, you know, I'm, I'm, sh- I, I'm sure there's a whole world of entry uh, between the, the, the mm-hmm. companies and in the, in the, in the programs that uh, we don't get to see too often. It would be, I'd love to be a fly on the wall sometimes.
2: Oh yeah. See, you mentioned the the perspective of the people triaging the the findings on the other side, and I actually had the, a random opportunity to be one of those triagers once I'm in my uh, past life. We didn't actually have a bug bounty program at that company, but someone reached out or leveraged, I think it was Hacker One or something like that, or used Hacker One to help us help them find a contact for that for our company, and it ended up in my lap to to triage, and it, it ended up being something. Uh, nominal, but it was really interesting to be, you know, in the position where I was like, "Oh, I'm the the triager. I'm the I'm the blue team guy on the other side of this bug bounty interaction," which was really it was it was an interesting perspective. It, it then opened up my eyes to these companies that kind of rely on the the bugs found in these bounty programs to better their product.
1: Yeah, that the uh, the perspective of the, the of the triager. Is not one that is explored very often. Actually, there was—I wish I could remember that there was a really good article I read uh, recently about a, a triage you tri- tri- put out, just helping people see that perspective. And uh, it, it is one that's not explored much. And I guess also, usually when people talk about bug bunnies, it's from the perspective of the bug hunter because that's the—I guess mm. the, the eye-catching part of it, you know. But it is the company that's receiving these reports, uh, you know, their their experience is uh, isn't really. Explore too much either, so that's something that I think a lot of bug hunters don't don't really think about is what how what they're doing is perceived on the uh, other on the other side of things.
2: Right. I like the concept of Cinex quality, like twenty four hours of picking the quality submission versus just the fastest one, because you know if you're relying just on speed, the what the triager or what the client on the other side is going to get it may not be the best work that. Either the researcher or just the cybersecurity industry as a whole can put forward.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that uh, there's there's a term called bug bounty, just thrown around, which is basically you know the idea that I, I guess there's a it's a, there's a little bit of a bug bounty gold rush. You know, it's because you, you've heard mm-hmm. of we, we've heard stories of, of people making a, a million dollars on, on HackerOne, and, and I think there's I, they, they keep track of it. I think there's I think there's eight or something like that. And so that you know that attracts people who perceive that they can make a quick buck, and uh, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, a lot of times you can, but it, it does incentivize you know the submission of, of lower quality reports, which mm-hmm. which you know waste the time of triagers, and it's called beg bounty because it's almost just like people, hey, I found you know this low impact information disclosure, please pay me. I, I don't think that's really. I don't think that's really helping anyone. Um, I and I, th- I do to go back to Senac. You know, they do a good job of filtering out. Maybe I would argue a little too good job, uh, good of a job sometimes in terms of filtering out certain bug classes that aren't particularly useful. that are just low impact. So yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely a, a problem with the you know the quality of the work that a, a company receives.
2: It's uh, so I'm gonna shift a little bit on you. Something that I, you know, using some of my background knowledge on you, I know that a bug class that you personally enjoy is uh, cross-site scripting or XSS. So is hearing you say that Sinek has maybe to a fault filtered out some often perceived harmless type of bug class, is that a cross-site scripting sort of being filtering out or things like that? So cross-site scripting is not
1: typically filtered oh. out. Well, it's an interesting topic just because it is by far far and away the, the most common thing that is uh found with bug bounty programs and myself mm-hmm. i mean even though i i'm honestly kind of i'm kind of sick of cross-site scripting at this point um it's kind of it's kind of boring i mean there, there are cases where it's really interesting right sometimes they're actually kind of hard and they're very i'm not saying that they're not extremely useful because they are from an attacker's perspective that's a different subject but there's just so many of them you can't you over mm-hmm. them right and so that would not be one, that's kind of the, on the lower end of what they consistently accept, right? Okay. Um, and it, you know, uh, but something like an open redirect, I guess that's a good example. Something that they routinely wouldn't accept, uh, maybe in rare cases they would. And maybe on on something like HackerOne that might net you like $50 or $20 or something. In the but, you know, that's an example of, okay, well, you're, you're telling me you're not gonna accept that, but I've, got lots of examples where I can chain that with other things, and, and it took something else. And just, I think we touched on this in the last, uh, last time we talked, where it's just, yeah, it's a low impact, but if you chain that thing, it could do a lot of damage. So
0: so this might seem like a loaded question, given the company we work for and the industry and all that, but do you think at some point that bug bounties could replace traditional pen tests, or do you think that they're best as a complementary uh, thing?
1: That is a... Really great question. And <laughs> I, so I don't think one is better than the other. I think they're somewhat complementary, but it sort of depends on the particular situation of a, of a, of a company, whether one makes more sense than the other. I guess to talk about the pros and cons from the company's perspective, if you're doing a bug bounty, the, the biggest pro I can think of is that you're getting a very, very diverse uh, set of skills Brought to bear on your resources, and you know every every pen tester has a blind spot, and even if you get two or three or four uh, pen testers on one target, and that will help with some of that, there's still some blind spots that you know they could potentially miss. So yeah. you, you can't it doesn't com- you just can't compete with fifty or hundred or a thousand different skill sets, and, and you're going to get a very I guess wide coverage. The uh, I guess the downside of that is that because bug bounty hunters are motivated by the profit on a per, on a per bug basis and they have this, wide, this huge menu of choices available to them, if they perceive that your target is no longer you know, the most efficient one for them to make money on, then they're going to move to greener pastures and mm-hmm. you might not get
0: uh, as deep of a look as, as you would like. Speaking of deep looks, I, I think I remember you, and we can cut this part if it's part of confidentiality with Cynac or anything along those lines. But I think I remember you discussing about how you can take it a bit further with Cynac than you would be able to take it with a regular bug bounty. Because traditionally, I think a lot, a lot of bug bounties will come like full stop if you get execution on their network. Like HackerOne, BugCrowd, like a lot of those just stop there, right?
1: I would actually put Cynac in that category as well,
0: for the most oh, okay. part. Okay, so yeah. these are—it's almost entirely just looking at the external footprint, and if you get past that, it's full stop. So that's probably one of the more benefits of a regular pen test over bug bounty.
1: That's that's one of the big things. Um, I mean, there may be some rare case where the the company wants you to go farther, but yeah, typically when it comes to, like like you said, when it comes to a, a bug bounty, it's as soon as you find something, you you, you stop and report it. With a, a pen test, um, you you can really you can really. Dig a lot deeper, you can see how it affects not just the system that you're on, but also I, I think critically it, it, the, uh, how it affects other systems around it. You know, and I guess we've all experienced, um, you know, that at, at BLS, how you know, and we've talked about this before, how it it's it doesn't it doesn't stop with that one bug. You know, you you use that as a building block as a part of a larger attack, and so I think. The thing that you miss, I guess, with a bug bounty versus a traditional pen test is that deeper look. And then, I guess, also uh, the kind of the analysis. So it's one thing to have someone point out all your security vulnerabilities, right? And that's it. And that's important. And that's great. Um, It's another thing to have somebody point out all your security vulnerabilities and then kind of bind them together. um, Looking at the, the kind of like big picture risk, not just to that application, but how it pertains to the rest of your organization.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like one of the things we do is the majority, it feels like, of our reports is spent contextualizing the vulnerabilities and, like what you were saying, explaining the risk. And, yeah, I feel like that's something you lose when it comes to private bounties.
1: Yeah, and I I, I guess I should... Well,
0: yeah,
1: I guess I should qualify when I say you get this from a pen-testing company. You get this from a good pen-testing company because... That's a whole <laughs> na- that's a whole other topic, and uh, one that I'm very passionate about, which is uh, a lot of the pen testing industry, which will do a Nessus scan and slap their label on it. And but you know, if you go to a a, a, a good pen testing company, um, like I, I don't know, maybe maybe one like I don't know, Blackliner Security, um, you know, <laughs> not to toot our own <laughs> horns here, no, but you know, no, toot, uh... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it, it, that's that's a big problem in the, in the industry, and, and it, that's a whole other range of discussion but uh that's what you should expect for a a good pen test
2: well yeah i think that touches into the, the the realm of push button security in general of oh i do scans i don't need a pen test you know i've heard that at least from corporate perspective as well you know we don't need a bug bounty we don't need a pen test because we do our own vulnerability scans on the outside okay cool so what right Those vulnerability scans are only as good as the definitions and signatures that you have loaded into them. And a lot of groups, how many times have we seen it where they aren't updating their vulnerability scanners or aren't updating their AV or things like that? So it's like that argument falls apart the moment you start to look at companies' patch management structure or processes or definition updates or things like that. So I'm right there with you, Paul. You know, I hate seeing companies, either be it security companies who do that or even corporate or corporations who claim that they're secure because they do scans. It's just, it's frustrating.
0: I mean, it's kind of going back to what we discussed a couple weeks ago with Brian, where we were talking about how there's these companies who sometimes do security by audit. You know, oh, we do scans. They don't actually check the veracity and the effectiveness of these scans. They just, we do scans. And not to, like, sorry, not to pat ourselves on the back too much this episode, but (laughs) like the very first interview I had, part of the, joining the Black Lantern team, person conducting the interview stressed to in me that they are not like the pen test puppy mills who do the vuln scan and put a letter on. And that's something I really appreciated because I did not want to be a part of operations like that.
2: Lo and behold, it was Paul standing behind whoever you were actually talking to, <laughs> <laughs> just handing them a script. But we, we've strayed a little bit from bug bounties, but I think it's a, this is a, a good topic and I think it's important for the industry in general of security by audit and then security by vulnerability scans. and. Those in general are concerns that we may have to do further episodes on later on down the line.
0: But, We've never really um, been great at sticking up topic.
2: <laughs> hey, you know, we're still better than the Mike episode. <laughs> We've majority of this has been Bug Bounty, and I'm gonna bring it back to Bug Bounty. What was um, that episode about?
0: Again? Um, good question,
2: it's a great question. <laughs> There's a reason why you change your car's oil, or go to the dentist, or cover your face when you sneeze or cough. That's right, prevention. And you know what they say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The same thing applies to your company's security. When was your last IT infrastructure checkup? Are you scanning your gear regularly for abnormalities? Let Black Lantern Security help you out. BLS's penetration testing services can help identify security concerns before nefarious attackers can get their grasps on them. 10 out of 10 hackers that I know recommend regular checkups with Black Lantern. Check out our services and inquire at blacklanternsecurity.com contact us. Oh, and if you want to be the 11th out of 10 hackers that I know, then don't hesitate to check out our job listings at blacklanternsecurity.com jobs. And no matter which form you filled out, make sure to mention the podcast. So to, to loop us back now, do you have any of your like own personal favorite bug bounty situations or finds that you have that you can actually share with us because I know that sometimes depending on the the interaction with either the client or the the platform some of those might get fall under some non-disclosure stuff. Do you have any that you can share with us that are or some that like you like to put in the feather in your cap to show off as a little bit?
1: Well, I guess in general I I try to avoid showing off. With, <laughs> but no, you're you're definitely right about the non-disclosure piece of it, particularly with Snack. So I, I guess I'll try to talk about one and uh, do my best to not just be completely generic when I talk about it. Now. Mm. So my, by far my biggest bounty was one in particular, and it, I, it's uh, I don't I don't really want to say the exact number because that's again I'm not trying to you know to brag, but just to give some context. Um, in the in the five figure range, and it was I cannot say who the customer was, but I can tell you that if I did say, you would know, you would be familiar with it, with them. And I was able to get a authentication bypass, which allowed not just to bypass the password, but they also had SMS two-factor authentication. By the way, if you really, if you really want to rile some, some security nerves up and start talking about hazards of SMS two factor authentication. But <laughs> that's a whole other topic. But anyway, uh, it, it was I was able to, this bug was able to bypass uh, both of those, and I was able to gain access to uh, any account that I wanted to. And sure. I, again, if you, I, I can't even really hint about what, what it was, but um, the the impact of that was was significant. Let's just say that, or would have been significant. So, and but I will say. That kind of the large payout is definitely not the norm and it's not what bug bounty is typically like you know again I said that was you know five figures I guess most of the time what you consider a big bounty would be just take Sennec for example an RCE is worth uh, usually right around three three thousand the other platforms maybe maybe it varies maybe it's uh, you know a thousand to maybe ten thousand depending on the uh, the particular program etc so yes it's it's really cool to hear about all these, these big bounties. And, and again, you know, we've, 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 certainly heard from people who very impressive people who have, have made, you know, millions of dollars bug bounties. But it's, I think, I also think it's important to, especially for new people who are interested in this to point out that that is not the norm. And because I right. think, I think when people hear, I think when people hear about these people making a million dollars or these people getting these, these, you know, 10, 20, 30, $50,000 bounties. What they need to understand is that that is absolutely not the norm. And most of the time, you're going to be grinding away for a few hundred dollars. And you're going to have weeks at a time where you'll find absolutely nothing.
2: And to sort of piggyback off of that, the the, the concept of the people who make a living just doing bug bounty, they do that because they're in it every day. They spend hours and hours and hours a week to just run through various different bug classifications against all kinds of different clients. They are on the go all the time about what they're looking for. There's actually a really good episode of Darknet Diaries, which is another podcast out there um, that talked to one of those, uh, one of the early people who got it to a million on HackerOne. I'll put the the link in the show notes specifically for the episode. I don't remember offhand. But that was really the moral of it was, you know, he... Once he started doing bug bounties, once he really started to enjoy it, he I'm pretty sure he just quit his job and focused on bug bounties. And he was in a position where he could do that and just that grind of every day, I think he mentioned that he got up at like 6 a.m. and would go until 2 a.m. usually or something along those lines and just nonstop. So I I think you're absolutely right. It's people who are trying to get into this casually, doing bug bounties for fun on the side or, you know, hey, I only have got like six hours a week that I can work on bug bounties. It's all about leveling expectations.
1: You know, I, I do this, you know, I obviously have a full-time job and that uh, (laughs) obviously takes priority. And I also have a family, I have uh, kids. And so for me, it's something that I do usually, you know, like 10 to 12 at night, most nights and sometimes on the weekend. So we're talking about, um, you know, um, know, if I'm onto something, maybe I'll, stay a little later or something but typically i'm I'm, we're talking about you know maybe 10 hours a week right and so i'm not on the top of any any leaderboards for that there's no way i ever ever will be and i i think for most people i I don't want to discourage someone from from chasing that that dream because you know people have done it and they could be the next person to do it Uh, but i just think like you said have realistic expectations about it and also for people that like me who have full-time jobs doing this essentially the same thing yeah, be very cautious of burnout because <laughs> you know, yeah. you the last thing you want to do is work really hard in your day job burn the, the, the you know the what is it the i about to, i'm about to do a, a micism and say the wrong burning the is it midnight <laughs> wax burn the midnight burn, oil yeah. yeah burn the candle at thank both you, ends thank you there's some burning the midnight there's candle oil somewhere. at both ends <laughs> um, <laughs> You just, yeah, be careful of that. And I have to bon- kind of monitor myself too and just say, hey, you know, I'm not today, you know? And so that's another, yeah. I guess, just important thing to throw out there. And the things that's so interesting about it is the reward that you get is so incongruent with the level of effort. And what I mean by that is, you know, you might spend a couple of weeks uh, really digging into something and, and know you're onto something and you just have to, keep, and, and maybe there's a, You have to get a WAF bypass to work and there's different components to it, different steps. And at the end of it, you've got this cool bug and maybe you get $500 for it, right? Well, think about how many hours you put into that. Now, on the other side of it, you might hop on a a site, start looking around, find a sketchy endpoint, decide to run SQL map and get yourself a SQL injection in 15 minutes and that's worth $3,000. So it's just very, very inconsistent. And uh, right. I think maybe maybe it kind of balances out in the end, but it can be a, a very bumpy ride when you don't. It, I would I would not encourage anyone to to rely on it for anything. I guess is, is the point I'm making.
2: Yeah, I think that's where when I heard some other security professional say that you know bug bounty is the gig economy for cybersecurity. I I've always kind of latched onto that because just like you know driving for ride shares like Uber or whatever, or doing food delivery stuff. It's like, yeah, you can make money doing it, but it's going to take a lot of time and you get lucky on and off of like either good tips or good clients, or you just get unlucky some days and get, you know, maybe one or two rides that are just around the buck. And when it's gig-based economy, or when you're doing gig-based sort of activities, it's especially... You know, Paul, you and I both, like you said, we both have families, we both have kids. So it's like, that's not sustainable (laughs) outright. (laughs) For some of the um,
0: younger people just getting into it, it might be better to look at bug bounties as a way to learn that might occasionally pay out rather than as a way to make money.
1: Uh, That's a great way to to look at it. I think kind of the way I started with it was I was, um, I I remember I was spending a lot of time, I kind of just made this decision that I was going to really specialize in web and kind of kind of tripled down into into that right and I was doing a lot of CTFs and, and sort of training and things like that and and you know I was learning quite a bit but when I started to hear about bug bounties and, and her, I'd, I'd known a few people that have done them I thought at one point you know hey I can sort of practice and, and sort of hone this craft and then also maybe you know also get paid for it a little bit too so that was what started me down uh, getting interested in it and uh, I think that's a pretty healthy way to look at it
2: so I guess outside of leveling expectations and you know not expecting the moon when you're you're getting started, do you have any other words of advice for like people who want to start to do bug bounties or want to like dip their toes into that that sphere?
1: Yeah, I yeah, um, I think the biggest thing to understand is the skill set that you need to be successful with bug bounties. While it doesn't in- include just about everything that you would. Have on, a, on a pen test. There's this whole other set of skills. And I, I kind of think about it like it, there's a metagame and you, you can be really good at, at hacking things and not be good at the metagame and vice versa. Um, and what I mean by that is essentially, you know, you have this wide range of, of options to choose from at any given time, regardless of the platform. And you only have so much time and you only have you know, so much energy to put into it. So I think the single Biggest factor in whether you'll be successful or not, aside from just general you know efficiency, is knowing what to actually look at, and and that's something I still struggle with. Um, I have a tendency <laughs> to sort of hold on to something and not want to let it go and want to dig deeper. Um, so, but I guess you know knowing when to I guess fail quickly, or when when to move on, uh, knowing when to dig in, and knowing how to pick a target. That sort of again, I, I kind of look at it like the meta game of, of bug bounty. Um, if you're good at that, um, you can you can be you know mediocre at, at finding bugs and you're going to be very successful.
2: Yeah, and I think that I think that applies to just red teaming in general, um, just honing that eye to be able to pick out um, abnormalities quickly or to recognize, okay, yeah, this looked weird at first, but it's not going anywhere then put it aside you know, make a note, come back to it later when you have more time. But like you said, it, you being rec- being able to recognize when you're uh, getting yourself stuck is is a great skill, I think, if you're doing CTFs, if you're doing actual pen testing, or, you know, like Paul said, doing bug bounties.
1: The other thing I would just say about that is there are a lot of different viable strategies, and I kind of think of it like a an ecosystem. You know, you've got your, your apex predators who are hitting all the new targets and just tearing them to pieces as soon as they hit. Right. And that's a perfectly viable strategy. And a lot of people that there's a lot of people that just do that. They just hit new targets because it's there's, there's the easier bugs. That's where they are. And, and there's some, there's people who maybe only look for cross for tape and just do that across many targets. But that's also a viable strategy. Um, I sort of fall into the, I want to, I guess maybe the, the scavenger category just to keep this (laughs) terrible analogy going where I'm like passing over the carcass of what people have already, you know, ferociously dug through. And I want to, yeah, I just want to dig. I want to, I want to look at that target. And I just want to dig a little deeper than they did. And if I can just spend a little more effort and a little more, dig a little more deeper then maybe I can find something. And that's probably not by the way, (laughs) the way to be a bug money millionaire, but it is, the way I like to do it. So, and my point is just, there's different strategies. Find the one that works for you, and find the one that you enjoy the most. And
2: mm-hmm. so, what you're saying is, you are the hyena of the bug bounty ecosystem.
1: You know the the, the bug I was uh, that I couldn't really talk about that I sort of talked about earlier. <laughs> you know that one. Um, you know there have been a lot of people, and I I, I, I know because I know who's who has access to that. Uh, set of targets that um, they're very talented. And I myself looked at that same target three months before that and pretty extensively and missed this. And it was just one of those things where I went back and I just found something very subtle and picked it and, and, and pulled the thread. And eventually something good came out of it. So,
2: so it sounds like the, the recipe to be successful with bug bounties are patience, persistence, and leveled expectations. And honing your eye to be uh, pretty good at picking things, weird things out. But as far as qualities that are non-technical, the the those first three that I mentioned sounds like yeah, at least how to get yourself on a good footing to start with.
0: Which it kind of sounds like those apply to regular pen tests, too, because it's very similar to what we were talking about when we were t- mm-hmm. talking to Mike a few yeah, weeks ago. Absolutely.
2: I mean, at the core, I think that's the those concepts, and then just having the the uh, the passion that binds that all together is really what makes strong security candidates in general of you know you you have the willingness you have the patience you have the 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 stick but then on top of that all you have the passion that helps fuel all of that and then uh, <laughs> i think another big piece that we need to make sure that that uh, paul you alluded to is it's okay to take a night off. You don't need to do security every night. You don't need to, you know, if your day job is security and then go home and do nothing else but CTFs or bug bounties. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to watch sit on your couch and watch Netflix for a little bit or go take a run or do something to get your brain off of computers for for an hour, 2 hours or something like that because that's how you maintain a healthy relationship with the with the industry.
1: You know, having a job where you sit in a in a chair all day, and then having a, a hobby where you sit in a chair all day and stare at a screen, uh, not always a great combination. So uh, I would I would say that you definitely need to take a break, and it would be even probably better if you had as nice as you know watching Netflix or something is, and it's still looking at a screen. So I mean I I don't want to mm-hmm. give advice on it hobbies. It's further away despite, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> certainly not I certainly am not qualified in that to to you know suggest hobbies to people, but I'm just I want to like. Put an exclamation point next to what you said about taking a break because sometimes that is that's the best way to to sharpen yourself and yeah. uh, and, and and also you know taking a break from trying to earn money doing it to actually stop and, and train a little bit too sometimes because you gotta you gotta remember to keep your skill set up to date as well. But I think that the most important part of that uh, is really uh, of this whole line of thought is just avoid burnout because it is a real thing and uh i'm certainly very aware of it and so i i sort of monitored myself and uh, give myself the brakes when i need to i
2: condone that perspective entirely because i i too have been bad and encouraged myself to do burnout and then i was like i don't like security anymore which that's not true i just needed to step away for a little while (laughs) well i think we're we're about at time I prob- if I don't ask this last question, I will probably get reamed on Twitter by people who want to start doing bug bounties, but tool set. I've, I think my guess is have a web-based proxy, something along the lines like a Burp Suite or Zap. Any other tools that you would recommend for people to, to keep in their arsenal or get some practice in with to help with their bug bounty efforts? Oh,
1: wow. Um, that obviously, you know, Burp Suite is essential... There's, there's so many great extensions that um, enhance that. There's a, a few different uh, tools when it comes to fuzzing. I mean, there's a, I've recently just moved to, uh, there's a, a for, for dirbusting. Busting. Um, I, I, I use Durbuster Buster and a few other things and Burpenture. There's a tool called Ferric Oxide, which is uh, written in Rust, which I guess is where the name comes from, that I've uh, um, recently converted to. Um, I guess um, tools are such an individual preference. Um, so uh, I guess, yeah, I know you asked about things besides Burp, um, but I really have to kind of uh, tell you, I, a lot of my favorite tools are actually Burp extensions. A couple of my favorites, um, HTTP request smuggler. Uh, there was a big talk a couple years ago by James Kettle. Uh, if you haven't heard of James Kettle, he's probably, I'm uh, not trying to, Garner favor with him, but he's probably my favorite researcher because he's looking at, I, I guess, the stuff he's, he's researching is, is a lot of very non traditional things, like classes of bugs that have been dead for years and things like that. Um, so he, he puts out a bunch of good tools. Um, HTTP request folder is one. So uh, one of my favorites is, is, is called Param Miner, and uh, that is. One, and it's a tool that you can use to sort of brute force. Uh, you, you can do things like brute force GET parameters, POST parameters. My favorite thing to do with it is uh, brute forcing headers. Uh, I feel like there's, and this is a, this could be a whole other kind of conversation. I'm sorry if, if this is uh, growing into out of control here, but you know, uh, there's a whole new class of bugs that are sort of based on the systems that are kind of in between. Like the, you know, when you when you hit a website, yeah, you're, you're you're actually passing through a lot of uh, other systems transparently, there's there's you know web proxies, there's uh, applic- uh, web application firewalls, there's load balancers, all these systems. And there's a kind of a big uh, movement, I guess you could say, towards looking at finding those type of bugs. And a lot of those are header-based. And I guess, uh, you know, for the longest time, I didn't even really think about messing with headers too much. And just, I don't know, I guess recently, it just feels like I'm finding all kinds of, of really strange bugs based on brute forcing headers and playing with them. And, and, and a lot of times that involves the intermediate systems that are sort of changing those on the fly as you, as you connect through. So highly recommend Param Miner, and HTTP request smuggler. And the ones that come to mind now. Um, yeah. Hopefully that was a, a decent, a decent answer to, to, your, to your question. You really, uh, really made me think.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I can say from personal experience, uh, working with you on doing web stuff, you've really opened my eyes to the the extensions that are uh, available in Burp Suite, just because prior to working for a professional pen testing company, I'd never had access to Burp Pro. So Burp Pro opens up even more extensions, and it's just, it's a whole wide world out there. Of, you know, you think about the tools that come with you, your basic uh, pen testing distros, but then you know, Burp in and of itself has just a n- an additional mountain of available uh, add-ons and plugins that function well for the web space. So, yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm not surprised by your answers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul. So we've got to we've got to wrap it up. Do you want? I think last time you you plugged your blog and your Twitter. You want to throw those out there again? Uh, yeah. I'm uh, Paul M Mueller on Twitter.
1: I, if someone was the last time, I don't have anything new for my blog yet since the last time we talked, but it's uh, I forgot the name of my blog.
2: <laughs> Pretty <laughs> sure it's blog.liquidsec.com. <laughs> yes. Thank you.
1: Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's it. And I guess, you know, since um, I haven't put anything out, maybe a good topic for my next blog post will be uh, burp extensions that I use. Um, that would be great. I yep, would read that so fast. Why, why I like them and, and other, uh, other, other tools that I use. So yeah, maybe you've
0: just. We can have that linked in the uh, description if you have that up before we go live with this. Yeah,
1: uh, you may have given me an idea for my next blog post. So- <laughs>
2: well, thanks again, Paul. We really appreciate uh, having chats with you. It's uh, it's really informative and super fun, and I'm sure we'll have you on again at another point in time when we would discover some other uh, web-based topic that we want to want to go over. Any final thoughts or uh, closing statements? Because this is a law, a law proceeding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think uh, just to try to keep it in, in line with the topic, um, I, I don't think bug bounties are, are going anywhere. I think it's a great way uh, to, if, you have it, if you're have if you in the pen testing world, you haven't tried it out yet, uh, I think it's uh, a worthwhile experience. I think it makes you a better pen tester, and you might earn some money as well on, this, uh, on top of that. So,
2: Awesome. Well, thanks again. Now's the part where I flub around for a little bit and then close the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so first of all, thanks again, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate all of the feedback or uh, recommendations that we've received. Any interaction we've had on Twitter has been great. I want to make sure you guys, if you get a chance, follow us on Twitter at anyport_pod underscore pod, as well as Black Lantern Security on Twitter at Black LLC. Follow us there for updates, news about the the podcast, or just general security content as we, we come up with it. Don't hesitate to reach out for any kind of recommendations, thoughts, uh, even if it's a joke that you want Chase to tell in the, the next episode. I'm sure he would take it into consideration.
0: Yeah. There's also been a stunning lack of hate mail. I really was looking forward to that hate mail, and it's just, <laughs> you guys got to step up your game. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I called developers lazy, and
1: nobody even took the bait, yeah. you know? Well, what I, what I didn't say is that um, the, the dirty little secret
2: is that hackers are even less. Yes. <laughs> so. It's also accurate. That is very true. <laughs> I think that's where we should cut it. Just...